Hey, good morning, Mendham Hills Community Church. Welcome to church on Super Bowl Sunday. Just when we thought we had gotten rid of the Patriots, there's Tom Brady again. Looking forward to um, sitting down with my family and enjoying the game later. But before that, I've got a couple things I want to share with you. And then, of course, I want to talk to you about today's question. The first is... Starting two weeks from today, you heard me mention it earlier, we are moving to a two-service format. We're going to continue to socially distance, folks. That means there won't be a ton of people around. But because the curve is flattened, we are now going to be able to to increase um, the number of services. So two weeks from today, we are going to have two services, 9 and 10.30. Parents, we are going to have children's ministry in the 9 o'clock hour. So if you're a parent and you've been waiting to come out to church until kids' ministry was started, 9 o'clock, please make sure, parents, just like everybody, we have to register to come to the services and register our kids. And we are going to celebrate together that first time that we're back at two services by having communion together. That's all coming up two weeks from today. And the second thing I want to make you aware of is, please, please, please set aside four or five minutes to watch the video that we're going to send out this week, the interview I did with Dr. Sarah Potash, our longtime friend and the medical director of First Choice Women's Resource Center. Sarah is going to share, well, an amazing story about... um, Christmas and what happened at uh, First Choice and how we can continue to help our ministry partner in these difficult days of COVID. Check that out when it comes this week. Now, on to this week's discussion. I hope that you're enjoying this series that we're in, um, questions that Jesus asked that we ought to answer. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope it's, I hope it's challenging you at deep levels and, and As you ask yourselves these very challenging questions, I hope that in the wrestling with the answers, answers that that as I've shown you, Jesus never gives us, answers that Jesus wants us to discover for ourselves, within ourselves, I hope that you sense some growth and change in your faith and and in your life. Now, I hope these things really for, for two reasons. The first is well, that the ministry of Jesus is what I've chosen to give a big portion of my life to. Uh, I, I really do believe that he is who he said he is, that he's the way and the truth and the life, and that he is the only way to God. And I want you to find him and know him and grow in him and enjoy him. Find your peace, purpose, hope, and your eternity in him and with him. That is the more meaningful and the far more nobler reason that I hope you are enjoying this series. Now, the second reason has to do with a problem that I have. Well, it's actually more than a problem. It's, it's a borderline addiction. And, well, like most addictions, I guess the first step in overcoming them is, is admitting that you have a problem. So this morning, I begin with that admission. An admission made, to be fair, to be made easier because it's an addiction that, well, the reality is all of us struggle with to some degree, and, and in our culture, today at at alarming rates. Here's my problem. This is the second reason I really hope you're enjoying this series. The reason is that I care way, way, way too much about what you think about me. I, like you, have what has often been called an approval addiction. I care, we care, to our detriment, way too much about criticism from or praise of others. Now, 
Does it make me feel a little bit better that we all have it? Sure. Many of you know I'm the father of four kids. The, the first word that they learned was no. The second word they learned was mine. Now here, that's kind of interesting, right? At one level, our, our, our sinfulness, our brokenness is on display really early in life. No and, and mine. Here's the piece that's kind of interesting and maybe makes me understand things a little bit better. As I thought about it this week in light of Jesus' questions that were, were, or the question we're going to look at today, it occurred to me that what I, I, I think might have been all of my children's first sentences, the first time they strung more than one or two words together, you know what I think it was? It was, Daddy, look at me. Now, if you have kids, maybe you remember that too. Daddy, look at me. Daddy, look what I can do. Now, I want you to know this cry never came from them when they were covering on the wall or picking on their siblings. It only came when they wanted their dad to see them and to, you know, applaud. I can actually, since I had four of them, I can actually remember them arguing with each other or over who daddy should look at. Dad, look at me. No, daddy, don't look at her. Dad, look at me. There is something down deep inside each of us, isn't there, that just loves a good applause and, and well, hates nothing more than criticism. I read this week a, a funny quote from Richard Daly, the famous uh, mayor of Chicago, speaking in this regard about his opponents. He said that, well, they've vilified me, they've crucified me. Yes, they've even criticized me, as if to say that, Vilification and crucifixion I can put up with, but criticism, that's below the belt. Guys, today in our 21st century world, sociologists, psychologists, both will tell you approval addiction is at an all-time high. You want to know why? Two words, social media. And again, just like with our tendency to worry, Really smart people sit around big fancy desks in large boardrooms figuring out ways to make money off of our addictions. Just like with worry, they do it with this desire for approval. US t USA Today's headline couldn't have been more blunt. Quote, social media firms want us addicted to approval so much for Wi-Fi making us smarter. Do you know what taking a drug, drinking alcohol, smoking a cigarette, and getting a like on social media all have in common? Well, all of the experiences feel good, and all of them are highly addictive, because in your brain, all of them produce the same thing, dopamine. It's a chemical that's associated with pleasure. And you see, social media companies know this, and they take advantage of it. Did you know there's even a, a, a company called Dopamine Labs that specializes in making apps more addictive? Adam Alter, in his book, Irresistible, The Rise of Addictive Technology and the Business of Keeping Us Hooked, writes, technology, technology companies and marketers have teams of engineers and researchers devoted to keeping us engaged. They know how to push our buttons, how to coax us into using their products for hours and days and weeks on end. You see, a like, a like has become like the 21st century equivalent of a round of applause. And our shared addiction, in our shared addiction, we love the applause and we hate the criticism, or in this case, the lack of likes. Now, I think we would all agree that there's something 
or, there's nothing wrong with, with a healthy appreciation for praise, right? Affirmation and encouragement, they're good things. C.S. Lewis wrote, the child who is patted on the back for doing a lesson well, the woman whose beauty is praised by her lover, the, the saved soul to whom Christ says well done, are pleased and ought to be. For here the pleasure lies in the fact that you've pleased someone you wanted and rightly wanted to please. One author I read this week put it this way, what a sad world it would be if artists were never applauded, if home runs were never cheered, or if children received no expression of wonder and amazement at their first steps. But, but just, like, just like every idol that we wind up chasing, see, approval addiction is what happens when good things like appreciation become for us ultimate things. Just like any addiction, when the applause moves from from a desire to a demand, from a, from a nicety to a need. Now, how do you know when that's happened? Well, here's some signs I came across this week in my research on the topic. First, are you more interested with how many friends you have on Facebook than you actually have in your life? Second, do you meticulously control your Instagram follower to followers to follow ratio? Third, have you often asked, quote, is this picture grammable? Fourth, have you taken way more pictures of yourself than others have taken of you? And lastly, do you know how many likes your record number of likes is? Now, those are kind of contemporary examples, so maybe for us non-millennials, questions might be, well, am I easily hurt by things other people say about me? How often do I compare myself with other people, uh, even people I don't know very well? Are you super competitive? Do you have an unexplainable need to, to beat other people and to be number one? Is there somewhere deep inside this nagging sense that you're not all that special and, and, and maybe there's some jealousy over those who seem to be more important? Do you try to impress others by talking about yourself or, or your achievements? Maybe you sometimes wonder, what other people think of you? Maybe you haven't gone after your dream of starting a business or being a singer or traveling the world because somebody told you not to or, or maybe you worry that you might fail and look bad. And finally, maybe this one sums it up. You're not even sure what you want for yourself. Now, there are almost none of us that these signs don't resonate with at some level. And heck, it's not just a millennial issue. As modern as this all sounds, this approval addiction it's nothing new. It goes as far back as, well, the dawn of creation itself. The first book in your Bible, Genesis, this story of our origins, it, it recounts the story of Cain and Abel, the son of Adam and Eve. God looked on Abel's sacrifice with favor and on Cain's, but he didn't. And Cain's response to the lack of God's applause, well, he kills Abel. And you know what this story shows us? That this desire for approval, it seeps into and it negatively impacts every area of our life, even the spiritual. And it's for precisely that reason that Jesus asks yet again today a profound question. 
Now, let me set the scene for you. If you were with us in week one of the series, you know we looked at the question Jesus asked the paralytic man that had been lying at the side of the pool. Jesus asked him if he wanted to be healed. And as you might remember, the question had profound implications for the man at the pool. It had profound implications for us. And Jesus' decision to heal the man, well, it had profound implications for Jesus. You see, the Pharisees, the religious rulers of that day, well, they were irate with him, and they began to, to persecute him for healing the man on the Sabbath. In fact, the gospel writer and disciple John says that they tried to kill him all the more for it. And as he, as he stood before these men, this religious lynch mob, in his defense of himself and, and answering these questions about who he thinks he is doing such things, Jesus says to them, I'll tell you who I am. Verily, verily, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Now, as I just mentioned, in two weeks in this room, if you're comfortable, we're going to be celebrating communion together. And at the heart of communion, at the heart of that gathering, is what Jesus refers to as his new covenant. Guys, this is what Jesus is introducing and referring to here. The Pharisees, they were religious leaders that were operating under the Old Covenant, what's referred to as the Mosaic Covenant, the promise that God made to Moses regarding the people of Israel. That covenant was, for lack of a better description, it was an if-then covenant. If the nation of Israel obeyed the laws of God, then God would bless the nation of Israel, and if they didn't, then God wouldn't. Well, it was the Pharisees who were charged with ensuring that kind of national obedience. In fact, just to make sure that the people didn't break the laws of God, what they did was they would add laws on top of more laws to make sure the people never even got close to breaking any of the original laws. And so that is why they are irate about Jesus breaking one of their laws. He had healed someone on the Sabbath. You see, this new covenant of Jesus's, though, the one he came to initiate, had at its core, listen to me now, Jesus' covenant has at its core not behavior anymore, but belief. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Guys, we cross from death to life both now and eternally, not by our behavior, but by our belief in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Some of you know the, the Apostle Paul famously summarized this new covenant, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. In fact, this understanding is so key, it's so basic, that Paul repeats it often. To the church in Rome, he wrote, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead, you'll be saved. To the jailer outside of his prison, Paul and Silas tell, tell him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Heck, it was only shortly before this encounter with the Pharisees that Jesus had spoken the most famous verse in all of the scriptures, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Are you tracking with me now? Believe, believe, believe. 
so foundational. And that is why this coming question of Jesus is, is so troubling. You see, they didn't believe Jesus' testimony regarding himself. And so Jesus reminds them that it wasn't just his testimony about himself that they didn't believe. He goes on. He, he says, well, you, didn't, it, you, don't, you don't believe what John the Baptist says, said about me being the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. He would go on to show them that they didn't believe the testimony of God through the miracles that he had done. Jesus tells them they don't believe the Scripture prophecies regarding him, which they spent their lives studying. And then he concludes with this. So fascinating. He goes, I do not accept glory from human beings. Now just pause on that for a moment, right? I do not accept glory from human beings. What Jesus, and by the way, look, at some level, there's nothing more than all of us love than glory from human beings. What Jesus is saying what he's saying to, to the religious leaders is, look, what you're looking for from me, what you want to validate me with, you're not going to find. I know what you want. I know what you expect. I know you think I should come to you with a big name and a big show and a big crowd. You want me to come with the glory of the people, which, of course, is what they wanted and expected. That's what we want and we expect from people who want us to follow them. Why else would we follow you, Jesus? Who else is following you? Why else would we listen to you, Jesus? Who else is listening to you? I love what Jesus says to me. He goes, but I, I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. Guys, this is so profound, and boy, does he know them, and, and boy, does he know us. Jesus is saying, listen, I know you. You know who you'll follow? You'll follow anybody that comes to you that has made a name for themselves. You'll follow anybody who has enough power or enough prestige or enough authority. You'll follow anyone with, well, with, with lots of followers. You will one day... Pay social media teen influencers to hawk your products and sports stars to wear your logos and celebrities to promote your beverages. Jesus is saying, I'm not like them. I haven't come to make a name for myself. I've come to make my father's name known, and you're not interested. And the problem is you're only interested in receiving glory from one another and that's a really big problem. Here's why, and here's his question. How can you believe? And remember, how important is believing? How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but you do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Now listen to me, my friends. There are lots of dangers and pitfalls to our shared approval addiction. You don't have to be a Christian to benefit from understanding them. But Jesus is showing you the biggest pitfall. Now, I'll give you a couple. First, approval addiction. Well, I mean, it leads us to treating people and it leads us to treating ourselves 
as mere means to that end. Think about it, right? Just like an addict will use their relationships with others to beg, borrow, and steal, to feed their addictions, to feed their habits, so will we. Our relationships, when we're we're approval addicts, they become for us a means to our ends of applause. Our, Our neighbors and our kids and our spouses, they all become pawns for us in our game of appreciation. And and when they don't give us that hit of approval that we need, when our spouse doesn't seem to think we're, we're the greatest, when our kids' performance isn't feeding our ego, when our boss doesn't highlight all of our efforts, what happens to the relationship? And some of you know, and some of you know painfully, when they won't give you what you want, who won't you go to to get it? But it's just not others we use, though. We do it to ourselves. One author I read put it this way. He said, we judge our value as dependent upon whether or not we satisfy others. When we do this, we treat ourselves like mere means, like we're an object. For example, the value of a pen or a table depends entirely on its usefulness for some purpose. What do you do with your pen when it runs dry and stops writing? You throw it away, right? Like the pen, does your worth or your dignity depend on some external goal, such as being liked or approved of by others? Are you ready, in a sense, for the trash can when you're the odd man out or when the person you've been trying to impress gives you the thumbs down? Super dangerous. The second thing approval addiction does, it it gives to someone else, and oftentimes you don't even really know who it is, It gives to someone else control over your lives. Sociologist George Herbert Mead wrote about what he called the generalized other. It's the mental representation we carry inside ourselves as the group of people in whose judgment we measure our success or failure. Our sense of esteem and worth is largely wrapped up in their appraisal of our worth. Our generalized other is a, is a composite of all of the Siskels and Eberts in our life whose thumbs up or thumbs down signal carries emotional weight with us. Think of the problem as, as a kind of mental jury box containing all the people who rate us like so many judges evaluating an Olympic skater. Almost certainly our parents are in the box, probably some school teachers are there too, and some significant members of our peer group, not to mention our boss, our coworkers, our neighbors, perhaps other members of our profession. It gets, it gets pretty crowded in our jury box. Of course, we, we never really know for sure the totality of what any other person is actually thinking about us. It's part of the irony of the generalized other is that it's not really other at all. It's what we think others are thinking. When you're in your 20s, Somebody once wrote, you live to please other people. When you're in your 30s, well, you get tired of trying to please others, so you get miffed with them for making you worry about it. And then when you're 40s, you realize nobody was thinking about you anyway. Unfortunately, even though we can tell ourselves that others aren't thinking about us, that information alone doesn't really bring any true freedom. Because when our identity is wrapped up in whether or not we're perceived as successful, We set ourselves up for this approval addiction. Our our sense of self is on the line. And unfortunately, many of us give away our one and only life, not trying to be all we could be, not trying to be who it is God made us to be, but instead we give our lives away, trying to be what we thought others wanted us to be. And, 
And the cruelest truth of all of that is that nobody was actually watching. You see, as approval addicts, we're always at the mercy of others' opinions. Hence the old preacher's story. He said, I was leaving my last church and a woman at the farewell reception was weeping. Well, don't be sad. Uh, I'm sure the next pastor will be better than me. That's what they said the last time she cried, but they keep getting worse. You see, for those of us that claim the name of Jesus, the dangers are not just temporal, though. What Jesus is trying to warn us about is that they're eternal. This is not about a short, bad short-term decision. It's about a, a cosmic choice with eternal consequences. Jesus is asking you a very real question, a very direct question. Listen, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but you do not seek the glory that comes from the one and only God? And, and friends, I, here's what I fear. I, I fear that Jesus' question is rhetorical. Another translation hints at, at as much, no wonder you can't believe. For you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. You see, you cannot believe and be addicted to the approval of others. You cannot believe that Jesus is who he said he is and be addicted to the approval of others. You simply cannot. Henry Nouwen framed it this way. He said, at issue here is the question, to whom do I belong? to God, or to the world. Many of my daily preoccupations suggest that I belong more to the world than to God. A little criticism, it makes me angry. A little rejection makes me depressed. A little praise raises my spirits, and a little success excites me. Often, I'm, I'm like a small boat on the ocean, completely at the mercy of its waves, completely at the mercy of others. Now, Let's look at this. Why, why can't you believe and at the same time accept glory from others? Well, I'll give you a couple of reasons. First, Jesus himself didn't seem to think it was possible for him. So why would I think it would be possible for me? Some of you know the story of Jesus' temptation by Satan in the desert. Which, which, what was at the heart of, of, of Satan's trickery? Jesus, glorify yourself. He didn't. In fact, John recorded Jesus telling the crowds that, quote, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus goes, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. In fact, Paul couldn't do it either. For am I now seeking the, the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? Listen to this, church. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Jesus didn't think he could do it. Paul didn't think he could do it. Here's the second reason. Second, at the heart of this new co covenant of Jesus is this concept of confession and repentance. The acknowledgement of, of our sin and our shortcomings and our brokenness and believing that Jesus himself bore the punishment we were due for those things on the cross. Look, let's just be honest. It's hard to get to a place of confession and repentance when our preoccupation, 
our primary occupation is with self-aggrandizement. Beyond that, approval addiction makes others' opinions our mistaken messiahs. And lastly, when we're dominated by approval addiction, we're not free to serve unconditionally and unreservedly. We're only going to serve certain people who make us feel good. We're only going to serve if we get something out of it, if we get the recognition or the status. But it changes when you believe, right? It changes in a relationship with Christ. When we remember we're serving Him, it's at that point we stop comparing ourselves with others. We don't seek their approval anymore. We don't care what they think about us. We won't be discouraged by criticism or intimidated by opposition. And so, what do we do? It's such a ubiquitous challenge and addiction. What's the answer? How do we overcome? Well, I think it's actually somewhat simple. I think we've just got to kind of reverse the curse, as they say. Because Jesus' question was this. How, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but you don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? So what do we need to do? Well, we need to repent. We need to change the way we think about approval and recognition. We need to stop prioritizing in our lives getting glory from others and move to first place in our hearts and our minds, seeking glory, getting glory from God, which I admit at first blush, you, John, you want me to seek glory from God? I know it sounds almost blasphemous, but church, it's not. It's not. You see, Jesus' brother James said as much. He wrote, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. So did Jesus. Excuse me, so did Jesus' disciple Peter. What did Peter write? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. You see, what we have to stop doing is looking to others to exalt us and begin to prioritize what God thinks about us over what others do. We don't elevate ourselves. We humble ourselves, right? We don't try to lift ourselves up by getting others to glorify us. We don't seek glory from others. We don't try to get others to think more highly of us. Instead, we try to lift others up so that God might think more highly of us. We follow the example of Jesus here, who Being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself before God. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Friends, what would Jesus do? Guys, how could you do that this week? Do you understand how much is at risk in this life and the one to come? Now, if you've been with us in this series, you know that Jesus often leads his audience with a, without answers, but oftentimes with a three-pronged saying, helping people to think differently in regards to the answer of the question. 
this week, let me leave you with one of my own when it comes to approval addiction. Think, say, do. This week, think, say, do. Think, say, do. Think. Think about your audience. It is not another person's compliment or approval that makes us feel good. That's not true. It's our belief that there is validity to their compliment that makes us feel good. We are not the passive victim of others' opinions. I've shared this story before. When I used to go see my grandmother when she was in a nursing home as a child, everyone in the nursing home would say to my grandmother, look how handsome your grandson is. When I went to the school cafeteria in eighth grade, none of the eighth grade girls shared their opinion. The question is, whose opinion are you validating? Listen to me. This week, think. You've got to be very careful whose opinion you choose to validate. Second, the second is I want you to verbalize something this week. I want you to say something. Every morning this week, before you get out of bed, before your feet hit the floor, I want you to state to yourself out loud. We're going to put this up on our social media page so, so you can print it out and read it every morning. I am not what I have or buy or own or achieve. I am not what others think or say I am. My identity is in Christ and Christ alone. I am worthy because he said I'm worthy. And he proved it by dying on the cross for me. And so today, I will determine the direction of my own life without being driven by the demand for others' approval. Can you imagine saying that to yourself every day when you got out of bed? The freedom of getting out of bed and not worrying today about what anybody thinks. And lastly, there's, there's a do. Think, say, and do. In humility, in humility, Go and serve someone in secret. Don't let them know. Don't let others know. I want you to do something crazy good for somebody else. Do something, and now listen, let it cost you something. And then I want you to say nothing. And I want you to go to God, and I want you to bring that as an offering, not to a person, but to God. And tell him, God, all I care about is that you know. And as you do, I want you to take time to feel his joy and his pride in you because the truth is that God will exalt you. Just care about that. Do one thing this week to exercise that humility muscle. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another but you do not seek the glory that comes from the one and only God? The answer is, guys, we can't. So this week, Let's reverse the curse and together be set free from our shared approval addiction. Think, say, do. And I'll have another question waiting for you right here next Sunday.